We're going Thoughts? to talk about a beggar tonight. Um, I, I found some proverbs about beggars. Just, just a quick uh, show of hands. Who feels, who has a negative feeling? And just be honest, don't worry. In church, we can be honest. Rather, just be honest, okay? Jesus knows you in any ways, okay? Like, who's got a negative feeling towards beggars? When you see a beggar, it's like, oh. Okay. I hope the rest are not fake. Okay. I'm just checking. <laughs> All right. Here's a Persian proverb. A beggar will always be a beggar, even if they give him the whole world as a gift. That's a pretty negative outlook on a beggar. That basically says beggars will beg and beg and beg and beg and beg. They'll receive, use it up. Receive, use it up. They'll never stop begging because they don't want to work. That's a negative that, that's, a, that's a stereotypical statement. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's what's out there. There's a Dutch proverb that says, A beggar's hand is a bottomless basket. Or a bottomless basket. It just, you just put in and you never stop giving. There's an African proverb um, that says, A beggar won't mind being insulted. Which seems to indicate... Um, Beggars don't really seem to carry feelings. They're not very embarrassed to be begging. I don't know if that's what it means. Elijah Muhammad said, No nation respects a beggar. Whether you go to Africa or whether you are here, everybody seems to look down on a beggar. Because you might say, Well, why don't you work? And then you will have. Um, I want to make a statement to say the following. A beggar who feels... No shame is a shameful beggar. And you will understand why I say that as I progress tonight. A beggar who feels no shame is a shameful beggar. Um, last week, Sunday afternoon, I received a, a call. Charlie, I actually want to ask BJ to, to be at the church permanently to answer these types of calls. Because I don't know what to do with him. So it's a Sunday afternoon at about four. This guy phones and he says, his first words to me was, hey, is this a church of Christ? He is a church of Christ. He says, uh, is this a capella church of Christ? And I say, no, it's not a capella church of Christ, but it's church of Christ. Don't worry. We're also pretty good people. Um, and then he says, well, I'm seven foot four. Have you ever met somebody that? That's the first thing he tells me. He's seven foot four and he's black. And I'm like, okay, that's a way to introduce yourself. And, and he has just come from prison and he's on his way to uh, California. And he was picked up by Mormons next to the road. And he was taken to the Mormon church and he sat in the foyer because he refused to go into the church. And the Mormons have put him into the Super 8 in um, Corvallis. And he's just, he's just hoping that somebody can help him with food for tonight. And he's, he's phoned the church. And I, um, I go to Wes and I say to Wes, what do you, what do you think? Shall, shall we help this guy? And I could, I could, you know, he said, you know, sometimes these guys just phone and, you know, you don't really know what the story is. And I felt bad because I'm talking to the guy over the phone and I'm the most useless guy in the world. And you'll hear some things now. I'm useless when it comes to saying no. So like shame, poor guy. I, I think the worst, you know. I don't think of him the worst. I think like, shame, the poor guy is probably going to die tonight if he doesn't get a burger from McDonald's. That's the type of mindset I have. So I'm like, okay, dude, don't worry. I'm coming. I'm co I'll come tonight. Um, sorry, Steve, I missed you. Because I, I then asked Steve if he would go with me. And I'm all like, I've got to help this guy, man. He needs food tonight. 
Yeah, wife said, go with someone. It's okay. I'm, I'm just going to go meet a, a, a convict that's seven and a half foot tall and it's black. Now, an African guy, you know, a, a white African person wouldn't find that to be too intriguing. So I, I'm, I go. I put, go in the car and I take some last bucks that I have and I, I still go draw some money to give to him. I, I went and looked. It's 56 bucks to to get down to the place where he's going in California. I'm going to sort them out so that he can at least get home. He has to make, uh, he needs to um, fix his life with his wife because his wife doesn't trust him anymore. He's something like 60 years old. And in any case, so I arrive there and this guy comes out of the foyer. And I said, goodness gracious, you weren't lying when you said you seven and all. It looks like at that fan. It's like your head's going to hit the fan. I look at this guy. I'm like, goodness gracious. If you want to break my legs, it's probably going to happen tonight. It's just going to be over and out. And uh, he, he couldn't get into the car. His legs. I think his, I think his femur is the length of my body. You know what a femur is? The, you know? And anyways, we get him in the car. I say, hey, would you like some burger or something? He said, yeah, that would be great. I'm like, let's go do McDonald's because I've got an app. And you save money on the McDonald's app. I mean, you can do a little bit of a cheaper meal. Don't tell him that. But, you know. And get to the McDonald's, and he says, I said, what would you like to eat? He says, a hungry man doesn't mind what he eats. Perfect wording, isn't it? hungry man doesn't mind what he eats. What about a Big Mac, he says. <laughs> like, okay, thought you don't mind. Now you want a Big Mac. That's fine. We'll give you a Big Mac. You get a Big Mac, and um, I get myself a burger there, and drive him back to the place where he stays at. Now, but now in my mind, I'm thinking, and as I'm driving with him in the car, and he's asking me all these questions, we're talking, I'm thinking, um, I start smelling something. Who would like to guess what I smell? He's been taking some juice. Came out of prison. Went to go find a juice bottle as quickly as possible. Now I've, 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 I think I had $80. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to give him the 80 And then the 56 would cover. And he'd have some food and, and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, now, the more I smell his breath, the more the numbers go down in my head. Now I'm going to give him 70 then I smell another breath, 60. Then I smell another breath, and I say, 50. Eventually, I get down to 40. And I'm thinking, but this I'm thinking in my head while he's talking here. Now we get to the, and, and the, the chips and the, and the burger is on his lap, and he's not eating it. I'm wondering, you said you're hungry. Why aren't you eating? He says, no, he's going to go put it in the house upstairs quickly, put it in the microwave. I'm like, have you eaten McDonald's chips an hour later? It's disgusting. It tastes like you're eating your, your mattress or something. It's like foam. And um, he says, no. And I realize this guy isn't hungry. He's not hungry. So now I, I feel bad not to give him anything. So I say, I'm going to give you 40. I'm so, I'll give you some money, 40. You know what's the first thing he says to me? Hey, I'm just going to go put the burgers upstairs. Would you mind just dropping me off at Safeway quickly? Then I think, you scumbag. So, uh, obviously... I can't make a judgment, but based on what I smelled in his breath, and, um, and you know what? You, you know, so I take him to Safeway, I drop him off. I wanted to s- go hide in the parking lot behind the tree and check what he comes out with and confront him. But I thought, hey, this is between him and God. Because you know what? We had a conversation the whole time in the car. Yes, what about? About God. About the church. This guy knows guys in Texas. People I've met in the churches there. He's well acquainted with the church. He's well acquainted with the church of Christ. He's well acquainted with our doctrine, our belief system. He was baptized in the church of Christ. Very well. He knows what's happening. And yet he could look me in the face, take money from me, knowing I'm a preacher, 
knowing I've got two little boys and a wife, take money from me, use it for his alcohol abuse. Now that is what I call a shameless beggar. He feels no shame from begging from you. He'll take from you to feel his weakness, to feel his enslavement. That's how I qualify the statement. A beggar who feels no shame is a shameful beggar. And I want us tonight, as we read this story, I want you to think for yourself and ask the question, is this guy a shameful beggar? The guy we're going to look at tonight. Uh, we have, we have a, 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 an interesting story with this beggar. He doesn't seem to be a useless beggar. We sing a song about this guy. I hope you, I, I don't know if you know the song. Silver and gold, I have none. But this that I have, I give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Do you know the song? Of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You heard this song before? That's what this is about. Um, there were many miracles done by the apostles. And I wondered as I read this, I mean, we read it last week about the church, right? The apostles performed many miracles. And the church was in awe. They were filled with fear because of these miracles. And I wonder sometimes why certain miracles were recorded and certain weren't. Why was this particular miracle recorded? Why did he single out this one? Because if you read the text further, and we'll deal with this next week and maybe the week after that, is that this miracle led to Peter and John proclaiming the gospel to the Sanhedrin. Now, it's important to understand that if you look at, if you look at what happened in Acts chapter 2, what happened? There was speaking in tongues. There was a violent wind that came from heaven. There was a miracle taking place. What did it do? It drew the crowds of Jerusalem to the house. And what happened? Preaching took place. And so every time the preaching of the gospel took, was going to take place, God precipitated it with a miracle to draw the people in. This particular miracle set the stage to launch Peter and John to stand before the rulers of all of Israel. And Luke is trying to explain to us how that came to be. Because remember when, when Peter and the apostles, when they were preaching at the house with the tongues and, and all of that, they were just preaching to the normal, average, everyday Jerusalem person. The question is, how did the gospel come face to face with the rulers of Israel, with the chief priests, with the leaders of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's why this miracle is recorded specifically in this uh, instance. And the logical result of that was every time that you have a miracle, you have the preaching of the gospel, and then you have what? You have the growing of the church as people repent at the words of the gospel. So let's get into the story. One day, verse 1, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. I think it was their custom. Um, Christianity was still merging, uh, was sort of merged with Judaism. And so obviously many of these Christians would still go pray at the temple um, at these specified times. And this was 3 o'clock in, um, in, in the afternoon. Um, total conversion takes time. Uh, these guys were Jews. They were now Christians. But they didn't just stop one day and say, okay, we're not going to go to the temple anymore. Why not? Because the same God that the Jews worship was the, still the father of Jesus Christ, whom they now have come to accept as their Lord and Savior. So you can imagine 
that they didn't just cut themselves off totally from their Jewish uh, way of life. The previous text told us, uh, we read about this last week, that the church in Jerusalem was devoted, remember that? Totally committed, sold out to, um, relentless uh, to what? One of the things was prayer. And then we find this verse, Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple. They're going to pray. Now, a quick question. When you go to a place specifically to pray, what do you think your mindset is like? You're going there with a specific mindset, and it's to draw near to God. All right. Now, let's read the the second verse. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, there's a few things that stand out here for me. The miracle, the size of the miracle that's about to happen is sort of set in front of us here. The guy was lame from birth. The text tells us, I think chapter 4, 22 tells us that this guy was older than 40 years. He has never walked in his life. He was born lame. As we will see in the text just now, it seems like there was something wrong with his ankles. So with the lower part of his of his. Um, legs were not operating at well. What I also find interesting here is this guy had some really good friends. Carrying a human can be pretty heavy, especially if that person cannot walk because that person is not burning any calories. I'll tell you this. If I couldn't walk, I, you would roll me around. I would not, you'd not, there's no other ways you'll get me anyway. Because I will eat persistently. And I'll have no way of burning this stuff up. I don't know how big this guy was. But I think it's, it's really nice that he had some friends. It wasn't a friend. It was a plurality. So two or three guys that would carry him. Can you imagine that? Every day. Okay, come son. We're going to carry you. I've looked at some of the images of what Jerusalem looked like. I mean, it could have been a distance that they had to carry this guy. Every day. Okay, we're going to the temple. And they probably had some type of mat to carry this guy with. Um, so they helped him daily. That was his transport. Sometimes we can't help people, but we can get them to somewhere where somebody else can help them. And I think that was the mindset of these guys. Look, we can't, we, we can't get enough money to just feed you the whole time, but we can take you to the gate in Jerusalem where somebody else can help you. Um, why did they take him to the temple gate? And not some other gate. Why not to the entrance of Jerusalem? Why specifically to the gate of the temple? I think because he would encounter people that is in a better state of mind. The people who would go to the temple were in a specific state of mind. Right? They were going to worship God. They were going to praise God. They were going to pray. And so they were um, faith focused. And they were God focused. And they were, I think you would be more, you would be more generous. Potentially if you were on your way to the temple um, and um, yeah I uh, one of the toughest things in South Africa there's lots of beggars lots and lots and lots I've got friends who who get coins together every month they'll get a handful of coins and I'll put it in their car and so that just for the beggars it's like at every traffic light you stop beggar next traffic light beggar next traffic light beggar then you stop at Safeway. We don't have Safeway, but you call it Pick and Pay. You stop there. That's quite a cool name now that I think about. Pick and Pay. You know, we grew up with this, but today we thought about Safeway. Is it the safe way? Where's the unsafe way? I hope Safeway is the safe way. 
You then you stop and Safeway in the parking lot, and then you've got to give a coin to the parking for, for the um, car guard. It's like you, you just give it, in South Africa, you just give out money in the old age. Give to everybody else all your money. But the worst is, these guys are clever. And I think I've shared this with you before. But you go, you are hungry. You don't have time tonight for supper. You, you don't want to sit and go cook now. So you go down to KFC. You can smell those burgers. You can smell the chicken. The colonel's recipe. You buy your chicken. And just, just as you take it, put it in your car, and you smell it, and you drive out of the parking lot. You can't wait. You're, you, it's dripping. You are so keen for it. There's a guy standing like this, looking at you. Sometimes the burger doesn't make it out of the parking lot. You've already got it in your mouth. And then the guy stands like this. Huh? Do you know how bad you feel? You feel so bad. Okay, take the chips. I'll just have the burger tonight. They know. Beggars know where to go to get you guilty, feeling guilty. They know exactly where to go. Sometimes you'll turn around, go through the drive-thru again. Okay, I'll buy this guy something. They know where to go. I found this quote, which I thought is pretty cool. A beggar begs outside the temple, while a rich person begs inside the temple. Both beg, just to somebody different. The beggar is outside the temple asking you for money. The poor guy, the rich guy goes inside the temple and he begs what? He begs God for help in his life. We're all beggars, in a way. And so if, this, if, if, if these guys come to the temple to beg God for, for help and assistance and blessings, then maybe that person will have a better understanding of what it feels like to beg. Look, here I am, I can't walk. I mean, you're going to go ask God for help, I'm asking you for help. The Jew would understand this pretty well, that you can't ask God for something that you're not willing to give to somebody else. right? So I think this guy going to the temple... By the gate was the best place in Jerusalem to get help. How can you ignore someone's plea if you are on your way to make a plea to God? I think in a way, the beggar was a challenge to the Jews. Because the beggar was reminding them, as they're going to pray to God, the beggar was like reminding them, um, hey, um, I am here to remind you of the type of heart that you need to have as you approach the God of heaven and earth. You need to go in all humility when you go to Him. Now, this particular gate was known as the Corinthian gate. It stood between the court of the Gentiles and that of Israel. So this man was begging from the Israelites. Um, about 130 years before this, uh, the Romans took over Corinth and they took all of the gold and the costly uh, metals, the silver, and they melted it into one, which became known throughout the world then as Corinthian um, metal or Corinthian brass. This gate was made out of Corinthian brass. This was the most valuable metal that you could get in the ancient world. Um, Josephus, we spoke about him this morning, remember the Jewish historian, he said, that it, this, this gate was made of Corinthian brass and greatly excelled those that were only covered over with silver and gold. So Herod the Great was the man that, remember he's the guy that built the second temple, and he put this uh, gate in place there. So this was the place 
where this man was begging. Verse 3. When he saw, oh, sorry. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. He sees them before they see him. And he targets them. Okay, I'm going to ask these. And this is, I'll be honest with you. And guys, I'm going to just confess tonight. You know, all the confessions are coming out here. This, is a, this was really a game for me in South Africa. Because South Africa, you have, and I suppose here in America, we just haven't seen it yet. You have these big shopping malls. Are there big shopping malls here? They're, they're in Portland or some, probably. Because I haven't seen anywhere around here. No, the one in Albany is, is I saw it. It's heritage something, right? No, that's, that's miniature. I'm talking about like 200 shops and these massive walkways. And in these massive walkways or halls, you would get these small traders. They're either selling like cell phone stuff or jewelry or the next fad, the next shoe polish. There's these guys that um, they, they would literally, they would look at, look at your shoe and they say, hey, there's something on your shoe. And then you look down because you don't want something on your shoe. They'd say, no, 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 there it is. Hey, no, that's, that's dirty. Let me clean it for you quickly. Come sit here. Ah. Oh. So you go sit because you don't want to be rude. So you sit. And then he, he cleans your shoe for you. Oh, that's very nice of you cleaning my shoe. Okay, here we go. It's just 200 bucks. Uh, take it, please. Oh, so, so what I do, I can, I, when I walk into the mall, I watch them. I want to see them before they see me. Because if they see me before I see them, they're going to catch me by surprise. And they're going to have to buy something. There, there was something that happened. There's this Greenpeace. Greenpeace is like sort of let's keep the earth green thing. And I didn't expect it, and I just walked into this person. Alfredo will remember it was still in Cape Town, long time back, Century City. This guy or girl, whatever, walked into me, explained to me how bad it is, how black the world is going, and they need some money and stuff. I paid on that Greenpeace thing for years and years and years because I didn't say no. And because I'm so terrible at saying no, I try to avoid these people. But they fill the whole walkway. I want to get to that shop. How do I do that? And I have to apologize because this is a lie. This is what I do. So when I see them, I go on my phone. I make as if I have a phone call. And then they don't bother me at all. I just walk past them. <laughs> just walk past them. It works like a bomb. Test it. It's a lie in a sense. Maybe not. I don't know. But it works to avoid those types of beggars. Yeah. Now, I have to see them before they see me. This guy's lying by the gate. He eyes Peter and John. He says, those are my targets today. I'm going to talk to them. Um, I'm going to talk to them. So he asks for money. And I don't think it's easy for him to ask for money. But he knows if he doesn't ask them for money, he's not going to eat. Because he can't work. Verse 4. Peter looked straight at him as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. Look at us. You know what's interesting for me if we combine these two verses is the text says, remember verse 3 says he saw them. And what do you see here? He's not looking at them anymore. Because why does Peter say, look at us? If they aren't looking at him. So he saw them. It's sort of like he saw them from a distance. And when he begged for money, he looked down. Why do you think? 
shame. How many sets of judgmental eyes do you think that guy has seen in that day? People who look down on him. Ah, I come to pray, you beg me for money. It's annoying. If I want to pay something, I'll set up internet payments. You come annoy me here. The Greek says, Peter fastened his eyes onto him. In other words, Peter gave attention to the man. Yeah, I, I see you. You're not just some scum lying on the floor. You're important. You are someone. You're someone with a name. He fastened his eyes on him. You are worthy. Not worthless. And he wants the beggar to know that he is being seen. That's what he wants the beggar to know. He wants the beggar to, the beggar to know you are now talking to somebody different than you've met today. This is different. I want you to look at me. Look here. That's why the title of this lesson is Look at Me. Or Look at Us. Verse 5 says, So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. This verse shows me that this man didn't really give much attention to anyone. Why not? Because nobody gave attention to him. He didn't think anybody cared about him. Why would anybody care about him? But Peter and John wanted him to pay special attention to, to them. It's like Peter, Peter is saying to him, Hey, your life will change if you pay attention to me. That is a point I think we have to reach. Let me ask you this tonight. Do you believe that you can be a powerful point of change in somebody's life? I, I mean, do you have an attitude where you say, hey, this lo to, to a lost person, like in your mind, like, if you really knew me, if you paid attention to me, I could have taught you some stuff that could change your life. I could have pointed you to a savior that could change your life. I could have given you wisdom that could totally change your life. You see, sometimes we think we are absolutely useless and worth nothing. That we can't make a difference in somebody's life. And God's looking at us and he's saying, no, no, no. How can you say that? Because if I'm living in you, then I can do great things through you. Right? You must stop looking at yourself. At your weaknesses and your bad past and, and your uh, lack of intelligence and lack of whatever it is. And judge yourself through those eyes. Instead, look at yourself through the eyes of Christ. Admit that you're useless, because you are, and I, I, so am I, but there's somebody in us that can change people's lives. We should never be scared of helping someone put their attention onto us. And I hope you understand what I mean by that. Is get them to connect with you, because you have got something to share with them. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. And I think it's interesting that that is said by the Corinthian gate, the most valuable of materials. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. What do we see here? You know, it's the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> Sorry to all the great prophets of our day and the great televangelists. 
That's sort of in a way. I was wealthier on Sunday night than these guys. The apostles, ladies and gentlemen, were poor. They were not wealthy, extravagant people flashing around lots and lots of money. All they had was what? All they had was a name. Jesus Christ. All you need in this life is the name of Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. That's all you need. The name of Jesus Christ. There are a few lessons here about dealing with the poor. Throwing money at the poor is the easiest way out for you. Just throw their money. It's the easiest way. And it's the easiest way to keep the poor in poverty. Think about that. The easiest way to keep the poor in poverty is just to throw money at them. And the easiest way for you and me is just to throw money at people. And when you feed people constantly, you create a need. They start becoming dependent on you. Um, it's a big debate in, um, in South Africa. We have certain towns where the people, where there would be signs up everywhere that says, please don't feed the beggars. Because the beggars get dependent on you feeding them. They never grow out of it. Well, if I'm going to be fed by just sitting on the street, then I'll just stay there. Why would I want to change my life? Why would I want to do anything else? Um, and so the attitude is this. I could give you money. I'm going to give you money today, but you're probably going to be here tomorrow. I feel sorry for this guy that I helped on, on Sunday night because, you know, I haven't heard anything from him, which I think is, it puts more shame on him. Um, but I wonder where in the world he is. He's just come from prison. He still hasn't changed. Still the same guy. I feel sorry for his poor wife, what she must deal with. Our goal with the poor should not be short-term fulfillment, but long-term change. So our primary goal should not be, how can I fill this guy's tummy tonight, but how can I get you off the street? That's what happens here. It's not about, let me give you some money so you can eat. It's like, how can I change your life? This is a lesson for us in how to deal with poor people and how to deal with beggars. How can I help you so that you're not here tomorrow again? That's essentially, and that takes hard work. And this is why even Christians, we take the easy way out. Oh, I'll just throw a few bucks. What about this person who doesn't have their finances in order and whose life falls apart and makes bad life decisions? What about growing closer to the person, going once a week, visiting with the person, having a cup of coffee and saying, hey, can I mentor you and help you to make better decisions? Can you teach you the wisdom of God's word? No, we don't want to do that because that's work. And I've got to go out of my comfort zone and I can't watch um, TV on Tuesday night because I've got to go to your house. It's so much easier just to throw money, isn't it? But the Christian, the real disciple of Jesus, I think should be the guy that says, hey, how can I help you out of this life? Not just, how can I help you out of this quick hunger situation? Verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Do you like a right hand, Mama Gail? <laughs> now the man, when, when, when he, Peter spoke to the guy, he didn't just jump up. 
He didn't do that. The text says Peter gave him a right hand. And then he helped him up and instantly the man's feet. So where's the moment that his feet got healed? While Peter's hand was on his hand. At least that's what the text sort of indicates here. I would like to submit a truth tonight. God heals people through our touch. God heals people through our touch. God wants to use us to touch people. We are the representatives of God on this earth. We have to lift people up. And we don't have authority to push people down. We only have authority to lift them up. I was wondering, how did, how did this man's life change? Can you imagine this? For 40 years, he's been sitting on his bum. For 40 years. And I think the next morning, I mean, he's so excited about the fact that he can walk and run. We'll see in the text now. I mean, can you imagine the next morning he wakes up and he's like, oh, how am I going to eat today? I'm not going to eat by sitting anymore. God gave me legs now. So I'm going to go find a job. And I hope that he did go and find a job. And I hope that his life was changed on the inside as well. So he's never worked in his life, but now he has to go work and earn a living. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus heals. He heals, but he also dishes out responsibility. He can heal you, but you remain responsible. And what about his friends? How do you think his friends felt? Those friends that carried him for 40 years up and down to the temple and back. Can you imagine they see him? Can you imagine what's going on in their minds? Now we'll have to get a gym contract. I have to go work out now because we're not going to burn calories another way. Um, they would never have to carry him back and forth again. When Jesus, listen carefully, when Jesus comes into your life, you make life easier for those around you. When this guy met Jesus, the name of Christ, his life changed. And his friends' lives changed. Because immediately a burden was lifted off of them. You love your family. You love your children. Grow closer to Christ. Because you're going to become a better human. You're going to become a better mother. And a better father. And a better friend. Verse 8. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts. Walking and jumping and praising God. My brother Doug, this was unbelievable. Unbelievable. An unbelievable miracle. The strengthening of his feet and the ankles, the strengthening of the tendons was a great miracle. But it's not the biggest miracle in the story. The biggest miracle is this. How many months do you think it takes a baby to learn to walk? I did research maybe about 12 months on average. How long do you think it takes a baby to be able to leap? Maybe, let's say, another 12 months. Maybe two years of age. To be able to do what this guy does. The miracle is incredible. It's not just about ankles working. His brain, the, the neural pathways from his head to his tendons, has never worked ever. And within a split second, they're all connected. His brain is transformed to be able to handle two legs. His brain can tell his legs to do something. It's never done, ever, in 40 years. It's an absolutely incredible miracle. 
And the beauty of this story, the beauty of the story is he didn't run to go tell his family, his friends. The first place he went is where? He went into the temple with his God. Because he heard about a name that he's probably never heard before. This Jesus. And you know what's beautiful? He didn't, he didn't say, okay, come into the temple, Peter and John. Let me sacrifice a goat for you. He didn't say they are gods. He knew that there was a God. It wasn't them. That this Jesus had only spoken through them and healed, them, uh, healed him. And then verse 9 and 10. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This man was a known figure. He was a daily beggar. The people knew him and they knew that this was a miracle. And perhaps this story is recorded to give one great example of an undisputed miracle performed by the apostles. Very likely. And we'll continue next week and see what happens uh, next. Just two thoughts from me. The most powerful thing in your life is not your money or strength or possessions but the name of Jesus Christ. And I think we will all agree with that. Paying attention and giving a right hand can do wonders in people's lives. Paying attention to a person. Like actually seeing the person and saying, hey, here's a right hand, a strong hand. So it's actually, actually caring about people enough to notice them and then to say, let me use my strength to help you because you are weak. Just those two things. We possess that to a certain measure, can make a difference in people's lives. Of some time, in a small town, there was a, they were busy holding a town meeting, and all the la-di-da people of the town was in there, and the sheriff was there, or whoever the main guy in the town was. And while they were busy having this meeting, somebody came in the back door, screaming and shouting, with a little boy, and um, the boy had stolen bread. He was, and this person came in and said, this boy needs to be disciplined because this is not the first time he steals bread. And um, the sheriff then s- thought about this for a moment and he asked the boy, is, is this true? Why did you steal bread? And what do you think his answer was? I'm hungry. He said, I'm just hungry. And he said... Um, I'm not very good at begging, so I steal bread. What must I do if I'm hungry? And then the sheriff took off his hat. <clears throat> and I can't remember exactly what happened then, but he sent his hat through the crowd. He told everybody in that, that room to take all the money out of their pockets that they had and to put it into the hat. And then he walked over to the boy and he gave the boy the hat with all the money. And then he said to the people, Shame on you for living in a town where, you li- where somebody lives that is hungry but has to beg to eat. And that has always struck me. It's like if our society is actually, if we all have the hearts of Christ, nobody would beg for food. Because we would know what's going on in their lives and we would work hard to keep them out of begging and to help them get their lives in order how true that is i don't know but the principle is just this let's help people get out get away from begging if we can if that opportunity comes in your way 
if you ever receive that phone call and somebody needs help, instead of just throwing out, taking the easy way, try and help them out of that lifestyle. Give a little bit bit more of Jesus to them. Jesus is the answer.